Welcome to TMZ Live, Harvey Levin here. And Babcock here. So, uh, sad news with Wendy Williams. We knew, obviously, I think everybody knew, mm -hmm. uh, something was seriously wrong uh, with Wendy. And we've seen this really over a period of years now yeah. where things were just not right. And we'll get into what some of those warning signs were. But the family has now disclosed that Wendy uh, has been diagnosed with aphasia and dementia. This is exactly what Bruce Willis and his family are dealing with right now. Uh, it is the same disease. Right. What it does is that it, it affects your cognitive abilities, your ability to speak, your ability right. to process and understand, uh, and it advances right. with no real cure right. or any way of right. subsiding. And, and, and with a massive effect, life-changing uh, side effects. From We've that. seen that with Bruce Willis. Um, the difference with Bruce Willis is we really didn't know about it right. until the family addressed it. Right. With Wendy, I mean, we'll take you back yeah. six years to Halloween in 2017 yep. when something happened on the set and Wendy fainted. Oh. And you saw something was wrong and you see it in her face. There oh. is panic and she just collapses. Right, terrifying. Moment. And so from that, um, we just saw so much where we didn't know what was wrong. And, you know, there was talk that she was battling drugs and alcohol, mm -hmm. which apparently is still true. Um, that right, she, she got, got Graves' disease. And, 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 and her conduct got more bizarre yeah. on the surface, and nobody could understand what exactly was going on. Right. Was it performative? Right. Was there something seriously wrong? We know. She checked into a facility right. for treatment. I, I mean, she had a show for 14 years, the Wendy Williams show, and the show was gone, faded away from TV. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because Fox had substitute hosts for the show yeah. while Wendy was getting treatment, and they were hoping that she would come back. Yeah. At a point, they kind of pulled the plug right. on the Wendy Williams show, and they converted it to the Sherry Shepard show. But um, now we're getting a much clearer view. Right, it almost starts to make sense now. Her, her niece uh, was on Good Morning America today. Um, and this is ahead of the Lifetime special that they've been working on yeah. for two years on this now. But the niece really opened up about Wendy's struggles and how she's dealing with it and how her family is dealing with it. This documentary mm -hmm. is hard to watch. I know. Very hard to watch. Yeah. I said I wasn't going to cry because I feel like I've cried enough over the last year and a half. But what people are going to see is a broken woman who has had the world on her shoulders for so long and just cracked. During this filming, at what point did you know something was seriously wrong? Oh, right off the bat. When I saw her, she didn't have to say one thing. I knew that every cylinder is not firing the way it should. And you know, it's crazy because Wendy was actually diagnosed with this last year. She went through a lot of comprehensive tests um, after she was displaying, like Harvey, you said, a lot of things, loss of words, um, erratic behavior, uh, mood swings. So they took her to the doctor, the Mayo Clinic. She went through a lot of tests and was diagnosed last year. And it does track because like you said, they were um, putting in those guest hosts in hopes that she would come back. But once you get a diagnosis like that, it's very hard to come from. Like you said, she also suffers from other diseases, alcoholism, her 
family is trying to come out and take her back and, you know, trying to keep her up, keep her name in, in a positive light. However, it seems like they're not even fully aware of what's going on because they said they were not sure what treatment she was getting. They're not sure where she was getting treated at. So it's kind of weird to see them coming out and speaking on her behalf when they don't even know where she was getting treated. Yeah, no, there's, uh, there's conflict within the family mm -hmm. um, for sure. I got to say, I've been in touch with Wendy from time to time, not recently, but over the years. Right. And I heard the change too when I spoke with a her on the phone. Difference. Absolutely noticeable. And Charles and I talked about this a lot, where um, we knew something was off and we, we didn't know what it right. was, but it was really clear and we saw the deterioration really over a period of years um, when we had spoken with her. Um, and, it, it, and, and, and this is really one of the terrible things about this terrible disease, oh. which is that until it gets diagnosed, you just don't know what's right. going on. But at first you think the person's, it must be drugs, it must be right. alcohol, and you don't really think about what could be underlying there, but now yeah. we know. And, and it seems to happen quick too, Harp. You know, I, I just wanna say one other thing. It is a miracle to get through life without something devastating like this, with yeah. all the things that can happen to people, with accidents and diseases, oh. and just, you know, it, there, there are so many things from birth yeah. um, that can not only sideline you, but ruin your life. And getting through is such a miracle yeah. and such a blessing that when you see something like this, something this right. tragic. It makes you appreciate your health It too. really, really does. Hi, this is Pauline Knight um, calling from Suffolk, Virginia. It is sad news to hear about um, Wendy Williams' rapid declining in her health. Um, my heart goes out to her and her family. Um, but I do want to say that the good news is that she divorced her husband before she forgot what he did to her. How you doing? <laughs> we love you, yeah. Wendy. <laughs> it's just so sad. Okay, okay yeah. we're going to shift gears radically. Uh, go down to Australia, where uh, <laughs> Travis Kelsey has joined Taylor Swift. He made it. What is bizarre to me about this is that uh, the day before, Taylor had gone to the zoo down there right. alone. Right, nice zoo, Sydney Zoo. Great, great yeah. zoo. Apparently yeah. just an amazing zoo. <laughs> Well, she liked it so much that she went back twice the next day with him. So, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know why this feels so bizarre I, to me, I, but I, I, it I, does. I, I think just going to the zoo two days in a row is, is a bit strange, if not a little childlike. Just the thought of him, though, flying from Las Vegas on this, I don't know, 15-hour flight across the world, and he lands, and she says... Let's, let's go, go to see, the zoo. Yeah, let's go see the like koalas, koalas or something. But, but you guys, Travis has said in the past that he does like zoos. This is like your typical, like, new couple date. Um, but she did do something different the second time that she went to the zoo. They had, like, a meet and greet with a kangaroo, which would be really cool. And I know it's like, why would you go to the zoo if you're in Australia? But Australia is known for their wildlife, and you might not get a chance to see a koala, to see a kangaroo, you know, like all the heavy hitters in Australia. And so this ensures that you get to see those and be like, oh my gosh, like I got to do like a handshake with a kangaroo. It's bucket list. I, so I, uh, I feel like they probably have those animals here, but enough yeah. zoos, yeah. enough zoos. What's going to be interesting here is how long Travis follows her through all of the tours that she's going to be on. Oh yeah. For the next, until I, football season. Right, he doesn't start. have anything to do until summer. I mean, but, he's pretty much off. So the question, is he just going to follow her around? I think Singapore is next. 
and on and on and on. And, and do these type of things. And listen, I, I think it's great that they're in love. Yeah, but me too. Awesome. I, I found it a little odd too. He brought a wingman down. Right. If you're going to see the love of your life, do you bring a buddy with you? He it says to me they're not going to spend a lot of time together. The buddy. Right. Right. Well, yeah. He, he brought Either a Travis and Taylor, because you would think you bring a buddy then, right, to hang out with your friend. Yeah. His name is Ross Travis, and he actually was on the Chiefs with uh, Travis back in the day. So they're really good friends. Actually, there's a photo of him with Taylor in one of, like, the suites at one of the games. So they are close, too. But, I mean, look, if you have a chance to go all around the world with Taylor Swift, where you are VIP wherever you go. I mean, food, you can eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, and probably not have to pay for it. Like, that is the trip well, of a lifetime. You do not say no. Yeah, I don't think, no. he's, yeah, I don't think he's worried about the money, and he is kind of famous on his own, but that's it. I want to tell you something. Um, we've got a, a documentary on Monday night, yeah. um, this coming Monday night, uh, on Taylor and Travis, um, and it's really interesting. I, I mean, we've talked to a lot of people about this. The question is, look, they've both got, they've both had a bunch of relationships. Yep. They didn't work out. The question, why is this one working out? And right. we actually really get into it. And by the time you're done watching it, there are answers to this. So it's called Taylor and Travis Ultimate Love Story. It's on Fox uh, Monday night at nine o'clock, eight central. Uh, it's actually really interesting. It's it was fun great. doing this. I, I've been a sports fan my whole life. I've never seen a relationship like this, and I've never seen somebody who was actually bigger than the NFL. And she is. Sports. She is. And they are. They are. And they are. They are. Hi, this is Heidi from Las Vegas. Um, you know, the more stories I hear about Travis Kelsey like this, the more I'm starting to like him. The guy's kind of relatable. Well, at least to me. I mean, he was just out chugging champagne at a parade a couple of days ago. Now he's being wholesome with his girlfriend at the zoo. That's literally like me on the weekends, going out, being crazy at the bars, and then having to come back here in the office on Monday, trying to act normal. You sound fun. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> uh, Tom Sandoval, this is one of the dumbest things that I have heard in a long time. And that's saying something, yes. by the way. Yep. Um, Tom Sandoval uh, did an interview with the New York Times, go figure. Uh, and uh, <laughs> this is what he said. I, you may have heard this, but we're going to have a reaction next from George Floyd's family. So this is what he told the New York Times. I'm not a pop culture historian, really, but I witnessed the O.J. Simpson thing and George Floyd, and all these big things. He goes on, which is really weird to compare this, the scandal, to that, I think. But do you think in a weird way it's a little bit the same? If that's a question, which I guess it is, the answer is absolutely not. Uh, for starters, I can tell you personally, um, I covered the O.J. Simpson case. Tom, no offense, you're no O.J. Simpson. <laughs> and that's not high praise, no. by the way. But in terms of George Floyd's murder, this has enraged his family, yeah. as you can as you can imagine. Right, and we talked to one of George Floyd's family members, and she basically slams Tom. For starters, she didn't even know who Tom Sandoval was. She had no idea what Vanderpump's 
Vanderpump Rules was. Essentially what she said to us, though, is like, how dare he insert himself in this narrative? She has a daughter that she shared with George Floyd, and she's saying Gianna is going to relive these comments now because this poor girl has to go to school every day. She's around classmates who might now talk about this. But she basically slammed Tom. At, she called the, the comments flat out stupid that he made. Um, she said things like, you know, how dare he compare to George Floyd? Obviously, George lost his life. Tom and Ariana in their situation are still alive. She really comes for him. Well, she should come for him. Yeah. If you went back to Washington, D.C. and asked people about the scandal, I would think a lot of people would have no idea what you're talking right, bigger about. bigger in our world. But in our world, yeah. I mean, everybody was talking about it. It was a big deal. The ratings skyrocketed yeah. for the show. So I get how big a deal it is for him. But to compare that right. to a murder that that changed right. the country. Right, and somebody lost their life. Like Roxy, who we talked to, she has a daughter who doesn't have a dad now because of this. So to compare something that feels trite, like a stupid, I'm saying this, like a dumb reality show, that well, doesn't really matter. But, but you got to remember, too, that when you go back to the time George Floyd was murdered, yeah. that's all the country was talking about. All you saw was that horrible This video. was the top entertainment story. That was the biggest story in the country, and in the world, really. And so when you look at O.J. Simpson, and he says he was around for that, you're really comparing right. the O.J. Simpson that. case, which was the ultimate television soap opera, yeah. that you can't yeah. compare I, I to I think anything. the point is, to him, it feels like it was the biggest thing in the world. It was not O.J. Hi, I'm Amy from Dallas. Now, to make these comparisons, it's just gross. You're taking your cheating scandal and comparing it to situations where people have literally died. If you're going to try and compare it to something that's like a pop culture sensation, go with like Bill Clinton or Monica Lewinsky, you know, something that we still will talk about 25 years from now. Hopefully, we will not still be talking by, uh, about Sandoval By the way, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky <laughs> was in the stratosphere oh, and Tom right. is down We here. shouldn't have compared yeah. anything, anything to anyone losing their yeah. life. Uh, okay, we got to move on. This... Look, I want to start with this. Everybody loves Kelly Rowland. She is yeah. great. She is super nice. Everybody loves her. Even people you love make mistakes from mm -hmm. time to time. And she made one. I'm sorry, but when she just walked out of the Today Show seven right. minutes before right. she was supposed to co-host with Hoda Kotb. A live show. Yeah. Because she didn't like the dressing room. And that's what this is about. We yeah. know it. We've talked to people around the, in the Today Show, right. and we know that's exactly what happened. Right. She, was, she complained about she, it, right? She and her staff were, and her team were pissed off because the dressing room was not up to par. They have crappy dressing rooms right. at the Today Show. The Today Show admits that. Right. So she walks out, and then everybody's wondering, why did she walk out? We know why, and her rep comes out and says, I want to address this. And if you look at some of the media reports, they say Kelly Rowland's team addresses. No, they didn't. They come out with a statement saying she's a really nice person. Well, we <laughs> right. know that. No one but that. nobody said anything about what really happened. Right. What happened was the dressing room. The reason we're talking about it today is Kelly was on the Today Show to promote her movie, Mia Culpa. And by not talking about it, she has now fuel this so people are ignoring the movie and all they're talking about is the dressing right. room. Disaster. It, ha it happened on WGN, which is the Chicago, a Chicago local station, today when she went on to promote Mia Culpa, and here's what happened. <laughs> 
If you Google your name today, mm -hmm. there are 10 million stories about mm -hmm. you and the Today Show mm -hmm. of what happened. And almost every story is different. Are you able to tell us what happened with no. that and just get it no. just get it out there? No, no because I, I'm so excited and delighted to be here to talk about the movie and nothing else. I love the Today Show, love Hoda, and that is it. So I'll say this about this whole thing. Kelly Rowland is at least consistent. Uh, the other day she was on another show and they tried asking her about Beyonce and Destiny's Child and she did, said the exact same thing. Very like, no, no, I'm just here to talk about my movie. And it's it's awkward. It's very awkward, it's passive aggressive, it's very weird. And I gotta say, the more she refuses to talk about it, the more the legend grows. To Harvey's point, it's backfiring. This whole strategy of like, ignore, ignore. No, it's growing and it's only fueling more interest in this. And it's making you look bad. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's making Kelly Rowland look worse and worse and worse. The more you refuse to talk about it, the more you come across as kind of snooty and just kind of whatever. It's not a good look. And, it's and, not. And, and also, Fabian, it's not a big deal. Okay, she walked out. She right. had a bad that's, moment. That's, what, that's right. what's so crazy about it. It's not even that big right. of a deal. And yet, right. like, the more you've refused to talk about it, the bigger a, a deal it kind of seems. You know what I mean? This is all about perception and optics, and they're working against her at this point. Hey, you guys. This is Dario from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I feel like Kelly Rowland is a legend in her own right. You know, she definitely doesn't have to bring up Beyonce or Disney's child to get, um, you know, any kind of highlights. But, I mean, she probably should go back on the Today Show and do a redo, you know, and just, like, actually promote her movie because this is kind of, like, bad press and it's, it's not a good look right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hoda said she'd have her back on. Of I mean, course. Well, you know why they'd have her back <laughs> so on? They could ask they got huge ratings, too. <laughs> they will have huge ratings right. for that. So you have heard by now, I'm sure, um, the latest on Joe Biden's dog, Commander, or I should say former dog, apparently, mm. that we thought the dog bit a baker's dozen of around 13 times. You were kind of in shock that the number was that high, too, Harvey, at that point. I was stunned. Right. It turns out this dog bit Secret Service agents in the White House 24 times no. before the dog was removed from the building. Uh. And that may not even be a full total because that is Secret Service agents, at least as far right. as we understand. A lot of other people at the White House. So um, the question, how did this happen? How did, how did it happen that this dog, after biting once, twice, three right. times, up to 24, that the dog remained in the White House? Well, we have had um, this guest on before, and I have actually, I texted him last night as soon as I heard this because I thought we have got to have him back to put some context to this. Marshall Mararshi was not only in the Secret Service, but he was in the Secret Service when Joe Biden was vice president. Wow. literally protected the former vice president. Well, and also was there around, you know, presumably dogs, yeah. Um, during his vice presidency. So, uh, Marshall, welcome back to TMZ Live. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to talk about your charity, too, in a moment, because I just absolutely love your charity. But first, Marshall, there is a, a, a law. It used to be the one free bite rule, that when a dog bit once, um, you got to pass. If the dog bit a second time, then the owner would be responsible for everything mm. uh, because the owner was on notice. How on earth can this happen, that a dog can be on a biting tear 24 times and still remain in that building? You know, Harvey, it was, it was definitely hard to read, reading the, the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act. Um, 
you know, I've had this dog for 12 years. This dog has been taught to bite since the day he's born. And I was given very strict rules by the Secret Service. And then also when I adopted him when his career ends. But he is he is my responsibility. It, if he bites someone, you know, that's that's on me. It's my job to know my dog, to protect the public, and to also protect him because, like you mentioned, if he has a couple of bites, you know, something could absolutely happen to him, and that's not his fault. That's that's on me is my responsibility as his owner. So yeah, reading reading in the FOIA 24 times, that's uh that was hard to read for sure. How is it if the dog is biting and just a repeat biter this way, isn't there some process where somebody, an, up, an upper level manager at the Secret Service would contact maybe the chief of staff at the White House, somebody at the White House and say, look, it's not safe for our agents. I mean, it can't just go silent as all of this happens. You're absolutely correct, Arby. And it, it looks like that did happen. It just looks like it happened about seven, eight months later than, than we all would have hoped, you know, for the employees there. But they they did get to the right conclusion. It just, it obviously took much longer than, than any of us would have hoped to get there. Marshall, is there anything that can be done to fix the bad habits of, of a dog that has bitten at least 24 people? Obviously the dog not at the White House anymore, but is Commander savable for lack of a better term? Yeah, you know, we, we talked about this on previous interviews and you know, he is at one point, but you, you've hit a point now where that is so ingrained in him to to be in protection mode and to bite. It's, it's not a situation that he could be brought back into at this point. You know, if I if I were to ask you guys to to protect me and protect my house, but I was also going to have a, a hurricane running around who's trained to bite and he's he's bitten a ton of people and he might bite you. I mean, how effectively would you be able to do your job under under those circumstances? Knowing so, that? Commander is. Um... Out of the White House and in Delaware with friends of the Biden family, although you got to wonder how that's going. Mm. As long as the dog's around people, it would seem the dog is something of a danger. I mean, that dog is, is going to have to live a life of seclusion of some sort where it's just around certain family members, but it's, it's very doable. This dog right here trained to bite. I've had him 12 years. He's never bitten anyone outside of my control. That's because I control the environment. So same thing with Commander. He needs to be in a controlled environment, and if he is around people, it has to be controlled to an even higher level, just like I do every day with him for the last 12 years. So it, it absolutely can be done. If I let him go outside, he's gonna bite neighbors and other dogs, people, and that's on me. So I've been able to do this for 12 years with this dog. It can absolutely be done. So uh, we are not gonna let you go without talking about uh, Canine Hurricanes Heroes because it's such an awesome charity and what you do is so incredible. You can explain it better than me. So tell us what it is. Thanks so much for giving me the time. So um, in 2014, obviously Hurricane stopped the fence jumper at the White House with the president inside and he got super beat up. And I was fortunate enough to have a charity cover his medical bills for life. And this is just a great story of pay it forward. We weren't able to just accept those bills just for him and not take care of all the other retired canines out there. So Hurricanes Heroes was born, and now we have over 100 dogs, and we're growing every day where we cover uh, medical bills for retired police and military dogs for life and make sure that they have the great retirement that you know my dog's been fortunate enough to have. Marshall, that's amazing, and the picture over your right shoulder is like the coolest photo that I've 
ever seen of Hurricane. So that, that's the one that got him into the Guinness Book of World Records. He's the first dog to ever receive the Distinguished Service Medal at the U.S. Capitals for Animals and War and Peace. So that's um, very special to us. Well, you are cool. special to us. Yeah. So um, thank you for the time. Congratulations on the charity. Yeah. Hey, Hurricane, good Bye -bye. job. A well-trained dog. <laughs> thank you, Marshall. Thanks, Marshall. No, thank you. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, there is a host on cable news who has a take on those sneakers on the podium in front of Donald Trump. He believes that Donald Trump is connecting with black male voters by hawking these sneakers. Seriously. Oh, no. We are going to talk about that when we come back. Welcome back to TMZ Live. Harvey and Babcock here. Uh, I, I don't even Buckle know. up. Buckle up. Okay. So um, there is a host on Fox News Channel. His name is Raymond Arroyo. He had a hot take today on the sneakers that Donald Trump was hawking over the weekend. These gold sneakers that say never surrender. I'm just going to let him say it. Yeah, that's and, probably best. And then we're going to get into it. Even the sneaker thing. I was on social media last night. Very interesting. As you see... Black support eroding from Joe Biden. This is connecting with black America because they love sneakers. They're into sneakers. They love the, you know, th this is a big deal, certainly in, in the inner city. So when you have Trump roll out his sneaker line, they're like, wait a minute, this is cool. He's reaching them on a level that defies and is above politics. Guys, uh, hype beasts are voters too. So, you know, he's really attracting uh you know, the type of people that really, you know, are in the fashion like this. But it's also important to note that the Fox News host said he saw reactions on social media. He's not just making this up out of thin air. It just feels like to me, it's like the Joe Biden, like, you're like, you're not black if you don't vote for me. You cannot boil down an entire group of people Oh, they're going to vote for Donald Trump because he made gold sneakers and they like sneakers. No. We've seen it with rapper Peasy. You know, he's a Detroit rapper. Detroit is really Democratic, but he's saying he wants the sneakers. He's so going to vote for it. So, so is there I, no, Trent, I really want to understand this. So Trent runs uh, uh, TMZ Hip Hop here. Is this the conventional view that he's right? If you like Trump, if you're already swaying that way, I think this kind of, you know, turns the tides a little bit. You know, Trump is showing that, you know, he's he has access to what people love and, you know, people love fashion, especially in the hip-hop space. Joe Biden's, you know, his approval rating amongst the hip-hop community, you know, tends to tends to shift a lot. So Donald Trump doing his move, you know, he's piquing their interest. So What is social media doing? Is it mixed? I mean, are, are people pissed I'm, off about it? Or are they saying, pe people, yeah? People definitely see that, you know, he's definitely catering to a certain demographic, but they're feeling it. You know, I mean, the, the sneakers are kind of fly, if, if you ask me. I'll tell you. Wow. I'm stunned at the reaction. Yeah, well, <laughs> we had like a gasp when we watched that the first time, I, because I, it's I'm very shocking. I'm stunned at the reaction. I, you know, I'm... Yeah, and look, and I, I think it, <laughs> there were, there is, uh, you know, uh, support amongst the black community is, is, I think, shifting away from Joe Biden. I don't know. It's well, the polls, are, I mean, the, right. po the well, polls what? are showing that. Right. But look, I think, you know, given my age and my experience, I hope this time I have learned just to shut 
Oh. Hey guys, it's your girl Brie, and I am just as disgusted as you see that woman to the right of the man. She's just like, how are you saying this? Like, it's just, how do you quantify a whole race of people as shoe heads? Like, we're all sneakerheads now. I got it. All right, thank you. Okay, well, wait, just, yeah. thank you so much for coming on because that's the way <laughs> I, I felt like we missed. That's the way I on. understood it, and I just wasn't hearing that until you came on. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. You're welcome, thank you. I okay. thought we misread this completely. Okay, yeah. we are gonna move on. Uh, we got Darius Rucker out of the airport uh, at LAX, mm -hmm. and we talked to him about Beyonce's new country album. Yeah. And, and uh, the Texas Hold'em, by the way, I'm a big country fan, is a great song. Yeah. Climbing the charts, um, and you know, John Schneider came out with this ridiculous comment, which felt like a dog whistle talking about yeah. Um, that you dogs should pee in their own territory, right, right, essentially. Right, right. Uh, Stay that, out of country music. That is a literal and figurative dog whistle. Mm -hmm. But um, we talked to Darius about it. He was a man of few words, but he weighed in pretty strong. Everyone's talking about Beyonce's new song, Texas yep. Hold'em. Yep. What are your thoughts on that? Great song. You love it? Yeah. John Schneider came out, a lot of people saying what he says, yeah. racist a little bit. You know? It was racist. Yep, okay. Was it racist, you think? Sure. Sure, sure. A lot of people are saying this could be Beyonce's album of the year moment. Right? What do you what do you what do you think? For me, I hope it is for it. You hope it is? Yep. Could it, could, it, could, it, could this be it? Could be it. Country fans can be a little protective of outsiders coming in, just anybody coming in to cash in. Like back in the 90s, Alan Jackson had a song called Gone Country about people thinking, I can just go in there and make money. But they also embrace people who are sincere, like Darius Rucker. And Beyonce, no, she's not a country artist, but she's from Texas. She's always loved it. She's worked with country artists in the past. There's no reason not to embrace this song. So, Eric, is it possible, because I'm thinking back, I don't remember any country album that won album of the year. Maybe it did, I just don't remember one. Could this win album of the year? It could, and of course there's already starting to be some backlash to that because you know, after now there's been such a thing of people saying Beyonce deserves album of the year. And then if she finally gets it, one, it'll seem like they've been bullied into it. Two, of course she finally gets it when she makes a country record, but none of her other stuff could do it. Can we break that down? So what you're saying is that when she's catering to a white, a purely white audience or a significantly white audience, that All would make a difference to the Grammys? Maybe not, but that will be the narrative. If she wins for this album, if the Grammys finally give her album of the year, and you know, they passed on Lemonade and her self-titled album, but they give it to her for making a country record, that's exactly what social media is gonna be saying. Hey guys, it's Kyle David here from Canada. I think the whole thing is, is ridiculous. The John Snyder comment, it was gross, it was ignorant. I think he really needs to do his research and, and, and see that, you know, Learn names like Charlie Pride, Jimmy Rogers, great, great black artists in country music. And I don't think there's anything wrong with artists crossing over platforms. It's been done before. And I think Texas Hold'em is a great song and all the best to Beyonce. I think she's going to do great in the genre. How many people have told you you look like Mark Wahlberg? Once or twice, but not often. A little bit. A little. You don't see it? A, just very little bit. I see it like that much. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. I'm so excited about this. My One of my absolute favorite people in the world is Paul Anka, who is also one of the most successful people in entertainment that I've ever had the pleasure of encountering. This man has, for seven decades, um, just been a, a force of nature and is so relevant today in so many ways. So I want us to kind of set the stage here that I really believe that Las Vegas is going to be the new Hollywood. 
And, wow. and, and not just because they have every entertainer in the world, which we now know, but also California is really struggling. That television shows and movies are not being filmed here anymore. Mm -hmm. um, they are to some extent, but they're fleeing. They're going to Atlanta, they're going to Nevada, they're going to Canada yeah. because of regulations. And Las Vegas is just ripe for all of this. She thinks it's going to be like entertainment capital of the world. I really believe that's going to wow. happen. So there is no better person to talk to about this than Paul because he is ingrained in Las Vegas. Yeah. He was the opening act at the Fountain Blue when it opened a few months back. Um, he has had residencies there. He has performed there for decades with Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Everybody under the sun. So yeah. I'm so excited to bring him in. Paul, welcome back to TMZ Live. Good to always be back, Harvey. Good to see you both. So are you buying what I'm selling here that I think Las Vegas can overtake Hollywood and not wow. just in terms of stars and performances, but literally mm. creating an entertainment industry with studios just because of the climate, the just the inertia of Vegas and also the tax incentive in Vegas. Las Vegas is a different city today. Um, that's an easy sell. You're absolutely correct. It's now the sports capital of the world. It is a city. It is flourishing like it's never had before. And it is absolutely going to be a film capital, along with some other areas. Uh, you know, the film business has changed like the music business, but a lot will be expanding in Nevada and the film world will absolutely land there for sure. Paul, you mentioned sports, Super Bowl just two weeks ago in Las Vegas. NFL team, WNBA, Formula One, it seems like every sport under the sun is going to the desert. How important is that for it actually becoming this huge entertainment capital too? Well, it's a big part of it. As I said, I think it's a new sports capital. We're gonna get the baseball uniqueness of it is when you go see any of those games. It's not like seeing something in Pittsburgh or Carolina or Florida. You will see now, I think in baseball, you'll see a Mexican team. You'll see maybe a Japanese team. The expansion of all these sports you're going to start to witness, and that will be the center. Las Vegas is the new sports center of the world. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, well, look, this is only an hour show, so I have to choose the various <laughs> projects that you're involved in in this limited time. So you're about to go on tour. You're in the middle of shooting this documentary about your life, which I cannot wait to watch. I'm really interested that you have joined the podcast space. Um, tell us about that. Well, me and my buddy, Skip Bronson, um, we sat down one day, you know, we sat around all the time and tell stories and we know a lot of people. And we were approached by uh, the iHeartRadio people. One thing led to another, he said, we're in, we're down. We want to do the podcast. Well, we started big. We had Jason Bateman, Bill Burr's been on. We've got Kimmel coming. We had Mark Burnett. We got Alec Baldwin. We got Chris. We got a ton of people now that are just so much fun. And the guy that I'm looking at right now, and that's you, Harvey. When we get off of this, I want you on. I would. I would do that with you in a second. <laughs> honestly, Paul, I, it would be. It would be my honor to do that. Well, next week, baby, you're going to give me your honor. And what you're going to do? Here's the wildest thing. My buddy Bill Burr, right? We go and we have cigars every week. We hang out. He's a great guy. And he's very funny. He said, I'm only coming on if I could sing. I said, are you kidding me? He says, yeah, I want to sing. I said, okay, you're on. He came on, and yesterday, if you listen to the podcast, he is singing, and it's hilarious. I'm going to nail you now, Harvey. I want you to sing with me on the show. Will you give me a promise? 
I give you my. I, by the way, oh. by the way, you, I don't. You, I, don't I know. know. If you know I, do. I performed with Paul. Anka. Paul, who sang better, Bill or Harvey? Who was better? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I performed with Paul Anka. That's pretty cool. Twice. I got the president of France. We got Carl Slim. We got Bette Midler. Wait a minute. You got the president? You got Macron? <laughs> and he wants you next week. You know, I got that medal last year from Macron, and he's you know somebody that uh, that I've gotten to know, and uh, he's very interested in, in doing the podcast, yeah. Why the hell do you want me on? <laughs> well, my friend. What do you mean? Who sings my way with so much passion? You. <laughs> um, hey, I got to say before we leave, you are uh, featured in the CNN documentary this coming Sunday, on oh. the story of Sin City. So yeah. um, I'm gonna watch that too. It's all about Paul Anka in my book. It really is. Well, we've got some great performers that, you know, I started there when I was 17 years old. I was the first kid to play there. And then I wound up at the Sands with the Rat Pack. And I've got to tell you that education and that experience that I had, you could never replace. There's so many stories of what that town was about when it was run by the boys. And they ran it well, and they were really good to me. They were a great group of guys to work for. Okay, so we're going to talk afterward, and I would love to join you, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay, guys, good to see you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. This blew me away. Um, Misha Barton, one of the stars of The O.C., reveals something about her co-star, Ben McKenzie. When they shot this, and what she's going to about to talk about, what you're about to hear, she was 17. Ben was 25. And so uh, Misha was on the Call Her Daddy podcast, and she dropped this bombshell. As a 17-year-old playing across a 25-year-old, like, that's a pretty big age gap. How did you feel about that, like, romantic on-screen relationship? Yeah, it wasn't just on-screen either. I mean, oh. it was kind of complicated for me, because like I said, like I went into that like a virgin, like a kid, like really feeling like I needed to grow up quickly. I felt overwhelmed and not ready for any of that. And kind of like, you know, they were also like, I remember they were like, Misha's disappeared with Ben and like, she's only 17 and a half, 18, like, and the producers like went to my parents and were like, you know, it was like a very, it was kind of a whole ordeal. And so like, that's in the very beginning of the show before we're even like half halfway through a season. So there was a lot going on there. You know what is so weird about this? The OC was a huge show. The biggest show at a the time. Huge yeah. show. Huge. And everybody was covering it and talking about it. The fact that this completely flew under the radar. I, absolutely. And and the if you haven't seen the show, I mean that's one of the really main storylines is that Ben and Misha had a relationship. I, I don't think Harvey it's so much the age gap because seven years People who are seven years apart are married all the time. I, it's obviously the fact, right, that, that she was technically a minor at the time and, and he is somebody in his mid-20s, right? I, I just, I had never heard a, a peep about Right, you would this. have thought that this would have come out like long it's before. Bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. Okay, um, it is that time of the week, folks. And uh, it is time for Tim's Rejects. Tim, uh, Tim, I got to give you a warning. All right, it's all right so. It's generally good last week. Not so much. You got to redeem yourself. Uh, okay, so uh, we've all seen Arnold Schwarzenegger's State Farm commercial that played during it the was Super great. Bowl. It was great. It, it was great. So his name in this, uh, the commercial was Agent State Farm. So this artist, he decided to write Agent State Farm over and over again to make a portrait of Arnold 
Okay, um, that is cool. Just off of writing State Farm. Oh yeah, my Yeah, so God. you'll see the final product looks exactly what? like him in the commercial, and it's very impressive that uh, he was able to do that. That's incredible. How, how do you even know, find out you can do that? That's incredible. incredible. Okay, that was great. Yeah. Okay, Next. so um, Babcock, when you go bowling, because you're the sports guy, uh, yeah. do you try any trick shots? Uh, uh, sometimes. Okay, yeah. well, this is pretty cool. So this guy, uh, he spins uh, one ball a little bit um, on, the, on the roll there. And he hits and the then, ball. And um, then as it's going down, slowly, he gets another ball, and he tosses one, and he gets nine pins. No, and so get him. Stop. The rack comes no down way. like usual. No, the, no the arm way. it resets no. like normal. And while the slowly spinning ball is coming through, is the impossible. arm moves up. It resets and it oh. just oh. hits the pin oh for a spare. There, God. that's so, incredible. It's very impressive. I'd love to know how many tries it took him. Right. That right. was unbelievable. That's amazing. Right. Even if he had like a million hey, tries. You, okay, you like the bowling ball or on a roll? You got one more. <laughs> All right, you'll like this one. So working at a brewery can be fun, but you also have to make sure the tanks are in place. This guy was working, oh God. and it's, oh, no. there. Uh, it's leaking all over the place. Uh, he fell, but he was able to get That's back up. And it, not, it shot him across it. the room. It, yeah, it's leaking everywhere. So uh, it's uh, quite the uh, experience he had there. To with use the, uh, to open you, your mouth. To use the bowling metaphor. That was a turkey, Tim. <laughs> that you, was I great. It. Good Thank job, you. Tim. He deserves applause, a everybody. Job, Come on. Good job, Tim. Come on. Three for three. Wow. So Jack Harlow, uh, he's like six feet tall, I think. What kind of a dog does Jack Harlow have? Does he have German Shepherd? Does he have, uh, I don't know, a medium-sized dog? Big guy, big dog. Uh, nope. How you doing? Are you just walking your dog out here? Oh, uh, you scared me. I'm sorry. It's good to see you, man. I, I love this. You're just casually going going for, for a walk with a dog. Can I guess what your dog's name is? Uh, I should keep her name a secret, actually. Why? Because I just want her to have her privacy, you know? <laughs> okay. I love that. I it's like a, a seven Pound dog. Fluffy dog. I picture him having this big, mean dog. The good news for a dog like that is, even though you're supposed to carry one of those blue bags to pick up the yeah. poop, the dog's poop is probably so tiny. Right, a little pellet. Like, that dissolves it, into the grass. Yeah, it's going to look like a pebble. Right. So, Jack's in the clear. Uh, we will see you tomorrow.